What is the current state-of-the-art treatment for Peyronie's disease? You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. My guest today is Dr. Paul Shin. Dr. Shin is an assistant professor of urology at George Washington University Hospital and also in private practice with urologic surgeons of Washington in our nation's capital. Paul, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Greetings from the seat of power. Uh, it's good to have you back. Let's talk today about a disease I hope I never get, and that is Peyronie's disease. And I'm not sure that most doctors even know what it is, so tell us what it is. It's actually a pretty common condition. I mean, it's estimated up to 8 or 9% of men have it. And uh, basically, it's, it's the, uh, yeah, look around the studio. Who have you got? You got 10 guys standing there? <laughs> so one of them's going to have it? Right, exactly. But that's a separate story. Uh, it's later in life, though, isn't it? Well, not necessarily. You know, I've seen guys as young as age 20, 22 have it. Ah, and, and that's brutal. What it basically is, is the formation of scar tissue on what would normally be the, the stretchy, elastic covering of the penis, such that the scar tissue itself kind of constricts and you can get bending of the penis or pain with erection or, you know, any combination of, of sexual dysfunction from the, uh, from the scar tissue itself. Any clue what is causing the uh, inflammation initially that's leading to the scar tissue? You know, the best way that I can characterize it is for most men, it's an issue uh, that's similar to, say, a keloid scar, where the scar is kind of out of proportion to the insult that caused it. Like a reflex sympathetic right, dystrophy. Right, exactly. It's not to say that men who keloid are prone to this, but it's the same sort of idea in that, you know, there are a handful of men who have a penile injury from a, you know, heaven forbid, a rough session of oral intercourse or, you know, a missed thrust or something like that. But that's actually the vast minority. I mean... You can fracture your penis. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think people are aware of that. Point of trivia, the burst pressure of the penis is about 1,500 pounds per square inch. So it's pretty durable. But it happens. I don't think most Peyronies come from a fracture, though, but you're saying even just some minor innocuous injury that you may not even... It doesn't even have to be that. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen guys who've, who've come in who've, you know, had a very limited amount of intercourse and had no accidents and, and still have a fairly uh, a moderate to severe case of it. So it, it has more to do with the inflammatory cascade of, uh, of things that lead to the scar formation. Can you identify it when they walk in the room? No, because actually in the flash... They have to be erect. They, it, you know, they, ha they, got, they have to be erect. So usually there's some picture taken involved. But that sort of is objectively really the only way that, that you can quantify it. But, you know, you have guys who have any number of deformities. You can have curvature, you can have bending or kinking. What's considered a normal range of curvature? A normal curvature would be, you know, something that, A, you've probably had your whole life. For most men, a little bit of gentle curvature upwards is not uncommon. Um, you know, and some people argue that maybe that helps get to the G-spot a little bit better, but I don't want anybody out there sort of taking matters into their own hands. No but, pun intended. But a little bit of gentle curvature is not uncommon, but it shouldn't inhibit you functionally, and it shouldn't be anything that you detect or that the patient detects is actively changing. So, Do guys even know they have it, or is it their wives that say, you know, you're starting to hurt me? <laughs> Usually it's the other way around. Usually the, the, the most common presenting symptom is that guys will start to have pain with penile erection because that one area of the penis just doesn't expand like it should. And so it's like a bit like driving a car with the brakes on the left-hand side. Who, who was Peyronie? Was he the patient or the doctor that discovered it? He was a famous French surgeon, which, you know, I don't know where that puts you in the pantheon of all-stars, and it's not going to get you on the cover of People magazine. But he was, there was a famous uh, French surgeon named Francois Peyronie, who initially discovered it. And, uh, you know, most recently, there was a famous chief executive of our country who got himself into trouble because of his parodies. Okay. His distinguishing feature. Well, let's just say the English call it the Clinton's kink. <laughs> oh, I, I did not know that. 
that was his identifying feature in the Paula Jones trial. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Dr. Paul Shin from our nation's capital. We're talking about Peyronie's disease, what it is, and uh, if there's anything we can do about it. Paul, is there anything we can do about it? Sure. There's a lot you can do. Unfortunately, uh, there's nothing simple, I guess, is the best way to put it. Usually, there's, there's some more aggressive treatment involved, but by and large, most oral remedies and conservative therapies don't work. And, and if you go out there and you Google it or look for treatments on the Internet, you'll find any number of things that kind of sometimes look like they could border on a jackass episode. But so you need something surgically done? Yeah, usually, yeah. Usually there's got to be some intervention to physically do something to distort the plaque and make it softer. And what would keep the penis from rescarring after you remove the scar tissue if it's prone to scar? Well, that's the problem is that a lot of people can certainly have a rate of, uh, of rescarring. It's just, um, and you know, what you have to always balance this out with is that you know, not every guy needs aggressive surgery. Every guy, what your goal is, is to get him back to being functional. Is it a cause of infertility? It can be if it precludes um, having intercourse, certainly. Or, I mean, what if, the, what if the sperm is just not getting where it needs to get to? I mean, if it's going off on an angle and it's just not getting to the cervix. It's kind of the equivalent of having a hypospadias, yeah, exactly. Or do you just make amends and just, you know, lay on your side or upside down or whatever <laughs> you have to do? Swinging from the chandelier. Yeah. Okay, so what are you doing when if if it's that common and you're seeing a lot of it? What are you, what are you doing for these guys? Well, the first thing you have to do is you got to figure out if you got to do anything at all. You know, for most guys who who even have Peronis, they have a little mild curvature and not much pain and are still functional. Okay, There's no leave, need to do leave anything. Leave them alone. Just watch. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the natural history of Peronis disease is it's going to go through a phase where it actively changes, and that occurs over about the first six months. The patient notices a lesion, then it'll kind of stabilize. Can you uh, can you intervene at that point and put them on some sort of anti-inflammatory and perhaps halt the progression of the inflammation? The theory is that you can, and the anti-inflammatories that have worked best in the laboratory, okay, and that's sort of the big caveat, are a combination of a, an amino acid called L-arginine and an older drug called pentoxyphylline, which used to be known as Trental. Yeah, well, didn't they don't they inject that when someone comes in with priapism, or is that something else? No, no, that's that's something else. Because uh, Trental isn't or pentoxyphylline isn't. Oh, pentoxyphylline. I know they. I know they inject it when maybe someone has an IV that uh, does something bad in their the, arm. The theory is is that it kind of alters the. It, they used to use it for vascular paths because mm-hmm. it, they they thought it altered the flexibility of the red cell membranes. It reminds me of the joke. What's the generic for Viagra? In my coxophalin. <laughs> That's a well-known one. You should have known that one, Paul, as a urologist. Very disappointed. Yeah. Early on, you may get away with just some uh, anti-inflammatories. Exactly. But, you know, the, the common stuff you see on the Internet are things like vitamin E and potaba, none of which have ever really been shown to work. And there's kind of a three-pronged approach that's kind of contemporaneous now. The first involves, the one, one arm of therapy involves taking both arginine and pentoxyphylline. The second arm of therapy actually involves penile stretching exercises, believe it or not. There are different devices that you can get to try and maintain almost putting the penis in a state of traction, and you need to do this for upwards of two to three hours a day. But you have to, Do you have to be erect for those three hours? No, 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 no. It's just it's kind of more like a splint device that you wear in your penis. But, uh, you know, we've, we've seen in, in some pretty good controlled studies that people can gain a little bit of length, up to about two to three centimeters, uh, you know, and correct curvature by up to 10 to 15 degrees. You're going to get a lot of calls for that first indication. I know. There you go. I should buy stock, uh, you know, in the company. What's the uh, name of the company that makes that? Fast Size. Really? Yeah. yeah and Fast it, Size actually works. It, it has been shown You're actually, going on public radio saying you can make your penis bigger with Fast Size. There is some data to indicate that if your penis is short because of Peroni's, you can help correct some of that.
Absolutely. Everybody get that? And then the, is your staff madly scribbling stuff down? <laughs> then the final part of therapy, and probably the most efficacious adjunct, is direct injection of medicine into the scar tissue or plaque. And, and the medicine that we use is verapamil. Really? Yeah. And that helps. It does, because it's, it's calcium channel blocking activity. is thought to kind of limit... Uh, there's an inflammatory cytokine called TGF-beta, which everyone kind of points to as being the, 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 the culprit when it comes to formation of scar tissue. And for whatever reason, verapamil inhibits the activity of TGF-beta. But that's early on in the disease. You're not going to be able to, if someone comes in and they're scarred down and they're they're going, you know, 90 degrees, you're, you're not going to be able to inject you're them You're not going to really help those guys. You know? so that and, guy... you know, the important thing to note also is that with injections, you never get back to normal. Again, mm-hmm. your goal is to get somebody back to being functional. Right, let's let's go on to the more severe case. Who is prone to having it more severe? Are diabetics more likely to get it? Uh, hypertensives? Who's, what are the risk factors? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, you know, people have thought that diabetes and, and hypertension are, are, are putative risk factors. I'd say the other... The just, other having, uh, just having a penis puts you at risk. But that puts you at risk for a lot of things. But uh, the other thing that uh, you oftentimes see in, a, in association with it are Dupuytren's contractors on the uh, palmar surfaces. So that can sort of be another... Uh, it's, it's thought to be about the same type of pathology. What about inheritance? If the dad has it, does the son have to live in fear? Good question, and I don't know the answer to that. I've never seen a father and son duo come in. So, you know, and if they did, they might, there might be other issues to ferret out there. But no, it doesn't have a familial link that, I, that I'm aware of. Will you make the diagnosis? Can you see the scar tissue in the flaccid state, or, or do you have to make these guys get an erection to make the diagnosis? And if so, how do you do that? You can feel the plaque. You normally can't see it unless it's a big one, but you can normally feel it very easily when you palpate the penis. But And then I always have them take a picture just to say, look, you know, how much curvature have you got? How inhibited are you? Um, let's move on to surgeries and prosthetics. Sure. Tell me about those. Surgical procedures are all kind of centered around the idea of either cutting the plaque and stretching that area out and then grafting it. Or there are some people who still will excise the plaque altogether, although what we found is that excision of the plaque often leaves you with such a big deformity that you almost inherently either scar it back up or you have severe enough erectile dysfunction afterwards that you need a prosthetic. So the current recommendation would be that if you need to go to surgery, you either need to incise the plaque but not cut it out. Um, which, again, is, is tricky because, you know, you have to lift the nerves off the surface of the penis. Oftentimes people are numb in their glands penis for up to six months afterwards. So it's not to be taken, you know, undertaken lightly. And, you know, certainly there's a risk of it re-scarring, you know. Uh, ultimately, a prosthetic provides a great fix for it because, you know, there's no weakening of the structure of the penis. You simply insert the prosthetic and you can kind of mold the plaque a little bit so that it, it doesn't curve as much, if, if any at all. So um, Is that really the way things are going? Well, I, I think so, and it's in part because, you know, obviously, you know, from a patient's standpoint, you, know, you want to go in there as few times as possible. And it, it also depends on the comfort level of the surgeon, you know, but, the, but a prosthetic is also a, a certainly a viable fix for not only for the curvature, but also the oftentimes accompanying erectile dysfunction. Before I let you go, last time we spoke, which was a few weeks ago, we were talking about daily Cialis, and uh, it got approved. It did. So just, you know, to just give the audience a little, a quick line on that. The daily dosing of Cialis is aimed at men who are interested in having intercourse on a more spontaneous basis. You know, I mean, certainly there's any number of people out there who have a scripted time. You know, then that guy or that guy doesn't need Cialis. But if you're looking to be more spontaneous, if you have a more active sex life, what's interesting is 
that the daily dosing of Cialis, because it's a longer-acting drug, actually has been shown to be as efficacious as the as-needed dosing in terms of the plasma levels of the drug being just as high. And, you know, by the parameters that we can measure these things in terms of the questionnaires, it looks like the improvement in patient's sexual quality of life and erections appears to be about the same as on-demand. It's just a question of usage and frequency. And so, you know, if you use anywhere from six to eight Cialis tablets a month, mm-hmm then you're, you're better off being on the everyday dose. Are you doing five milligrams a day? You're supposed to start at two and a half, but I generally go straight to five because that seems to be the more effective dose. And are you seeing any insurance companies paying for that? Well, really? it's so early that it's not going to be available in the pharmacies until the first week in March. Mm-hmm. Dr. Paul Shin, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and if you'd like to comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please check out our website, reachmd.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD that you can listen to at home or at work. And thank you for listening.